Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our pulpit ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives. John chapter 21, today we will be looking at a message in this passage entitled, Jesus Gives a Fishing Lesson. This is the third of three appearances of Jesus after his resurrection that John records for us. The first one was in John chapter 20, verse 19. We know that he appeared there in that locked room. Uh, We don't really know how he got in there. He walked through the door, he walked through the walls, he came down through the ceiling, We don't really know, but he supernaturally appeared in their midst, and there Jesus was as he appeared to his disciples. We know there that Thomas was absent from that first appearing, and Thomas received news of that. He said, well, I'm going to have to put my hands in the nail prints in his hand. I'm going to have to put my hand in his side to believe. We learned there that God is patient with us when we doubt. He's long-suffering, and he met Thomas there just a few verses later in verse 26. Of 20, we see that he did appear to the disciples again. He did appear to the disciples so that Thomas could see exactly what he asked to see. And here in this third encounter, Jesus is going to appear to seven of his disciples. I know that I am not the best person at math, but I know that there were 12 minus Judas, that makes it 11, but we only see seven here. And I won't spend a lot of time in trying to figure out where the others were, but they had not yet made it to Galilee. Here we have seven. And these seven, Jesus is going to appear to them by his own choice. But in appearing to them, I want you to see this. He is going to give them a fishing lesson. Now, not a fishing lesson per se. He's going to give them a lesson surrounded around the illustration of fishing. He's going to teach them some things that every believer in this room needs to pay attention to today as Christ teaches these lessons to his followers of the day. My prayer for you, my prayer for me is this, that we get it. That we understand exactly what John is recording this for. He wants us to see the lesson that John himself learned, that Peter learned, that the other five is that right, Math? Yeah, seven, two, five. The other five disciples here in this scene learn. My prayer is that we, 2,000 years later, will see this as well. He's going to give them a lesson that is really less about fishing. And it's more about seeing our all-sufficient Savior. Less about fishing and seeing our all-sufficient Savior so that we will trust Him. Trust Him, not not just at salvation where He forgives us of our sin, but to trust Him daily, to trust Him moment by moment, hour by hour of every single day. Let's read this text together. We're going to read verses 1 through 14, and then, of course, we are going to come back. We are going to see the lessons that John has included here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for us today. Verse 1 says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to the disciples. That word afterward lets us know that there is a span of time from where he appeared to his disciples and then he appeared to Thomas. Um, Theologians spend time arguing about needless things like how long was the set amount of time? It really doesn't matter. 
If it mattered, John would have said seven days and 27 minutes. He said after word, that means a span of time elapsed. So afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples, again the third time, by the Sea of Tiberias, or what you know as the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, we know that's James and John, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now I want you to pay attention to this. Before we really get into the meat of all this, I want you to understand what's going on here. Professional fisherman, Peter, whose dad was a fisherman, whose granddad was a fisherman, whose great-granddad was probably a fisherman because that's how it worked in these days. He says, let's go out and let's go fishing. The others said, okay, let's go fishing. Many of them came from the same background. So they went out fishing, and Scripture's very clear and lets us know, but they caught nothing. After an all-night fishing trip, professional fishermen caught nothing. I want to set the scene for you there because I want you to see what is going to transpire next. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. They didn't realize that it was Jesus because until Jesus reveals himself, you don't recognize him. They didn't realize it was him. Did you know this? Every time Jesus appeared to someone after his resurrection, he had to sovereignly reveal himself to them. Don't miss it. You can go back and see it all over Scripture. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, he has to sovereignly reveal himself to you. My prayer for, for you today is that he would, that he would reveal himself and reveal your need for him today. They couldn't see who he was. And he called out to them, friends, <laughs> haven't you any fish? Knowing good and well that they didn't have any fish because he had sovereignly kept them from catching fish the whole night. We're going to see that in a moment. Haven't you any fish, he says to them. And we'll talk about just how big of a gut punch that was to a group of fishermen in just a moment. Haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Oh, the agony of defeat. You've been fishing all night, and they have to answer no. Not a one. No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. How did he know this? I want you to know that he knew this because the same one who provided the fish that swallowed up Jonah when, when he rebelled against God is the same one who put these fish on the right side of the boat at the right time. He said, throw it on the right. There's some there. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Emphatically, John knew, It is the Lord. How did he know? It all started making sense, didn't it? Jesus revealed himself by what he just did. Throw that net on the right side. There are fish there. And when they grabbed the net to pull it in, they couldn't even pull it in because there were so many fish. And immediately, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, says, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. 
When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. What a picture for us to see. What a picture for them to see. Can you imagine how quickly their minds went back to that shore lunch that they once had? There is Jesus preached and He took that lunch from a little boy and He provided for the multitudes. Can you imagine how quickly they went back to that? Can you imagine how quickly they noticed, here we are, professional fishermen, we fished all night long, we have nothing, yet Jesus is here, and he's got bread and fish on the fire waiting. He saw the fire, burning coals, and there were fish on it, and some bread. Verse 10 says, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. And Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. 153. John took time to write down the fact that there were 153 fish. We'll talk about why in a minute. If you're a fisherman, you already know why. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of his disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came. He took the bread. And he gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. There are many lessons that we can gather from this text. I seek to give us three points today that will help us learn something from this. The first thing that I want you to see is this. The insufficiency of natural man. Jesus is teaching them through this fishing lesson on the insufficiency of natural man. There in verses 1 through 5, what happens? What transpires? We know that his disciples went to Galilee and they were there to meet the Lord as they had been instructed. And we'll talk about that again later. But here in their waiting, they became impatient. And in becoming impatient, what did they do? They defaulted back to the flesh. Write this down. When we look at the insufficiency of natural man, we have to understand something here. Man's default mode is the flesh. Look what Peter says. I'm going fishing. Going fishing. And why would Peter say something like that? He had already been called to leave his nets And to follow Christ, to leave his boat, to follow Christ, to leave all the fish in Galilee and follow Christ. Why would he then say, I'm going fishing? I'm going out to fish. It's because he had defaulted back to his flesh. He'd become impatient and waiting on the Lord. The Lord hadn't obviously gotten there in Peter's timetable. And he said, I'm going to go fish. Not only did his impatience cause him to default back to the flesh, watch what happened quickly after that. We're going to. All of the other disciples who were following Peter said, yeah, I think we'll go with you. And they all default back to the natural man in all of its insufficiency and deficiencies. Man's default mode is the flesh. And you have to be careful of this. Please get this lesson from this. When God does not work in your timetable, don't become impatient to the point where you default back to your flesh because flesh always gives birth to sin. Pay attention to that. 
They defaulted back to what was normal, what was natural. Like I told you, they've always been fishermen. It was easy for them to fall into that rut. You have ruts too. That it's easy for you to fall into in your flesh. You have your natural bend of your sin nature. And if you are not careful in dying to that, you will default to that when you become discouraged, when the Lord's not working quick enough for you. You will fall to your flesh. Pay attention to the lesson that is being seen here. You have to constantly be aware that our flesh is trying to drag us down, and we have to constantly die to our flesh, crucify that old sinful flesh, never to return to it, never to mess around with it or to entertain it. We as believers must find our complete sufficiency in Christ. Here, Jesus was pointing them out to the danger of falling into your default mode. Because as a believer, you have one of two options. Please pay attention. Walk in the Spirit or walk in the flesh. Before you were a believer, you had one option. You walked in the flesh. Everything that you did was sinful. It was tainted by your sinfully depraved nature. But in Christ, you have received the Holy Spirit. He indwells you, and now you can walk in the Spirit. In fact, Galatians 5.16 gives us some great information as Paul speaks on the fruit of the Spirit. He says this in verse 16, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. If you live by the Spirit, you will not fall back into default mode. How many of you Christians would be honest and say there have been times even in my Christian life where I was not patient, where I did not wait on the Lord, where I was not obedient to His Word or His command, and I quickly fell back into default mode and then found myself falling back into sin and disobedience to the Word of God. Don't raise your hand. Because I think if we raised our hands, we would all have to raise our hands. Because we must be careful, and that's what he's showing us here. Be careful, because there is the insufficiency of natural man. We as believers cannot live in the natural man any longer. Why? Because man's carnal efforts fall short. They fall short. Man's carnal efforts always fall short. Watch what Jesus asked them. Haven't you any fish? Haven't you any fish? What a punch in the throat to those disciples. Haven't you any fish? They were trying on their own to do what they had always done, but Jesus was not going to let them do and be what they had always been and always done. And here they are fishing all night long, and they do not catch a single fish. And then to add insult to injury, there's a guy on the bank. Remember, they haven't even recognized him as the Lord yet. There's a guy on the bank, and he says this, Haven't you any fish? Now, all of the fishermen in the room, you go with me a moment to the boat ramp on that day where you had a not-so-good day on the water. And you got up there, and all the other guys, they, they caught them all. And you got up there, and they're talking about all the bass or all the catfish or all the crappie they caught, and you're over there saying, Man, I hope they don't ask me. And there's always that one big mouth in the group, right? What would y'all catch? Nothing. Sir? No, 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 
You start making excuses. Yeah, one of my reels got jammed. I spent all my time working on it. My wife, she backlashed my pole. <laughs> no, it, it was a punch in the gut for them. Haven't you any fish? And Jesus wanted it to be a punch in the gut. He wanted to get their attention. Surely, you professional fishermen out here doing it on your own, surely you got a boatload of fish. And they said, no, we don't have, we, we, we don't have anything. Every fisherman in this room knows their pain. And if you're not willing to admit that, you're just prideful. You'll find out next time you go to the water. No, they answered. Why? Because our human efforts always fall dreadfully short in comparison to God's standard and God's economy. Watch. Jesus is sitting there on the shore eating fish keeping the professional fishermen from catching fish. Why? You think he was humbling them? Of course he was. When we try to do things in our own strength, get ready for a humbling. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he chastens with a rod. How do you know that, Kirk? I can, I can give you story after story from personal experience of when I've tried to do things on my own. You know what happens? I rode back to the shore chin down, head tucked between my legs, pouting, unsuccessful. Why? Because for the believer, the only place that we can find true success and not fall short is not in our carnal efforts, not in our flesh. It is in Christ. Our best human efforts always fall dreadfully short. God's Word constantly reminds us of this over and over and over again. Two examples that I think of immediately, Matthew chapter 19. Jesus was there talking, and he was telling his disciples and those who were listening, he was letting them know that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then the disciples asked, well, how is this even possible? And Jesus said this interesting statement. He looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. If you try to do things in your own strength, it's going to be impossible. Christian, listen to me. You can't worship in your own strength. You can't serve the Lord in your own strength. You can do nothing in your own strength. With man, things are impossible in the economy of God. But Jesus goes on and he says this, but with God, all things are possible. When you're walking with him, all things are then possible. We have to Understand that when we are dealing with our flesh, though it is appealing because it's our natural default, it is destructive in our Christian lives. Remember what John said just a few chapters back, chapter 15, when he recorded the words of Christ? What did he say? He gave him a lesson on, I am the vine, you are the branches. And then he told him this in verse 5 of chapter 15. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Was Jesus saying you can't go fishing? No. Was he saying you can't dress yourself or buy your clothes or work your fields? No, that's not what he was saying. He was talking about the economy of God. He's saying for the glory of God and for the kingdom of God, you can do nothing on your own. You must die to you and trust in God who is able to do the impossible. Man's carnal efforts always fall short. Haven't you any fish? No. Perhaps in your life right now, you're trying to do things on your own again. Can I say this because I care about you? 
Stop. Stop. Try as you may. Over and over and over again, your human efforts are going to miss the mark. You cannot, will not, please God in your flesh. Die to your flesh. Walk in the Spirit of Christ. The disciples received a great lesson about this. On this night, they were humbled by Jesus' illustration. Don't you love his illustration? I'm going to send some professional fishermen out in a boat to humble them, and they're going to fish all night, and they're going to catch nothing, and then they're going to have to look at me face to face on the shore when they get back. When I ask them, haven't you any fish? And they have to say, not a one. You know why they didn't have any fish? They weren't fishing for what Jesus had called them to fish for. They were trying to do it on their own. He had already had this conversation with them, and he had told them, you're no longer going to fish for fish. You're going to fish for men. And here we are, Default mode, let's go back fishing for fish. Jesus said, I'm not going to have it. I called you to something different. You have a higher calling on your life. You know, each of you have been called to be fishers of men and fishers of women, to go and to make disciples. And you cannot do that in your own strength, and you cannot do that in your flesh. Your carnal efforts always fall short. That's why you have no fish. That's why you can't. Figure it out. Why, why can I just not get this right? You're never going to get it right because you're trying to do it on your own. Haven't you any fish? No. The best thing is to admit, no, I don't have any fish. I fall short in my own efforts, just like those disciples fell short in their own efforts that night. Man's default mode is the flesh. Man's carnal efforts fall short. And thirdly, in looking at the insufficiency of natural man, man's self-determination leads to failure. I don't care what the American dream tells you. Happy Fourth of July thankful for the independence that we have. I'm thankful that we're not Great Britain. All those things. But I want to tell you this. The American dream that tells you to be motivated by self, to be self-determined and self-motivated, it leads people away from dependency upon Christ. Man's self-determination always leads to failure in the eyes of God. Why? You're trusting in you. You're not trusting in Him. And did you know this? Jesus Christ died so that you would stop trusting in you and start trusting in God? That's the whole purpose of it. So you can trust in God and what He does and and His provision in your life. Saved men can never find success and satisfaction in the old fleshly things. You want to know if you're truly saved? Try to live your old life again. You know the most miserable person in the world is? The most miserable person in the world is that person who is saved trying to live in their old life again. That's where these disciples found themselves, up all night, tired, no fish. Their self-determination got them nothing, left them empty. Oh, there will be droves of Americans who chase after that dream only to find themselves feeling empty in the end and under the wrath of God for all eternity. This was part of God's sovereign plan the whole time to teach these disciples this lesson. That self-determination leads to failure. Jesus wanted them to see this. Why? Because they weren't to return back to their old lives. They had been made new. They had a new purpose. There was a new plan for their life. He was not going to let them continue down the road reverting back to what he rescued them from. I don't know about you, but I am thankful for that. Because I'll be honest with you this morning, there were times I have tried as a Christian to go back to my old life. And I can testify to you, I was a miserable person then, and I made everyone around me miserable as well. 
Why? Because my self-determination always leads to failure. We have to realize this. We have to realize what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. Insert here, fishing. Insert in your life whatever it is that your old life was. To put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Self-determination will not lead you to true righteousness in God and true holiness. It is only in Christ that we will find our way there. We must not be led. Listen to me, American church. Cancel out all the things that you have heard incorrectly. We cannot, we must not be led by our self-determination, but but led by the Spirit of Christ who lives in us. The obedient Spirit that leads us to do the will of God. We're insufficient in our natural selves. Number two, we see the second fold of this lesson, verses 6 through 11. Not only do we see the insufficiency of natural man in 1 through 5, but in 6 through 11, we see the inconceivable provision of Christ. He says an interesting statement. These guys have no fish. They fished all night. They're obviously discouraged. They're hungry. They're tired. Since Peter had already taken off all of his clothes, we can pretty much come to the conclusion that he was done for the evening. He was about to go to sleep in the bottom of that boat. But then Jesus says this, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. We see the inconceivable provision of Christ. Why do I call it the inconceivable provision of Christ? Not because it's a big catch, though it is a big catch. Why would he ever provide for these people? Why would he ever provide for me? Why would he ever provide for any of you? And it is only by His grace that we see His provision come to life here. Verses 6 through through 11, let's read it again so that we see this. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of, of of the large number of fish. They couldn't even haul it in. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. He saw that it is the Lord. And how did he see that it is the Lord? Jesus was showing His power. We see the inconceivable provision of Christ reflecting His power. Jesus said, you think you're good because you're fishermen, but you've done nothing. Watch this. Throw the net on the other side of the boat. And they do, and their net is so full that they can't even lift it in. And it is in that moment where John says, it is the Lord. There's no one else who could do anything like this. There's no one who would provide in this manner. He was reflecting His power. His power was on full display. His sovereign control over the situation displayed in His limitless power. Oh, how many times have we seen that in our lives where He displays His sovereign power when He doesn't have to? And He probably shouldn't because most of the time, I'm too stupid to appreciate it. But here He is again, reflecting His power. He wants them to see that it is Him on the shoreline. His provision for everything, from our basic needs to eternal salvation, comes from His sovereign, limitless power. And He shows it right here. 
You fishermen can't catch anything, but watch what I can do. You say, was Jesus showing off here? You bet he was. It's perfectly okay when you're 100% holy and perfect to show off because you know what? It's real. You're not fronting at all. This is legit. When they looked at Jesus, John saw, man, he, he did something that we've never heard of, and he said, it is the Lord. And then we know Peter quickly jumps in and swims to him. It is in that inconceivable provision that we see his almighty power. How many of you thought that your life was going to just fall apart? I mean, fall to pieces. And then in the nick of time, when it seemed as if you were almost out of time, you were empty and you were broken, and in your emptiness and your brokenness, he stepped up in power and he showed his sovereign ability to provide for you. I could sit here all day and bore you with story after story after endless story. And I didn't have to doubt in that moment, was that the Lord? No one else even knew about it. He was the only one who knew about it. And he came through because he loves to reflect his power. They were unable to haul the amount of fish in. I want you to see that. Because I can't help reading that and not go to Ephesians chapter 3 where Paul says this. He says in Ephesians chapter 3, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. They were unable to haul in the net because he, Christ, is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Some of you here today, spiritually speaking, emotionally speaking, financially speaking, I don't know where you are in your life, but today you are rowing back to the shore with your head down in discouragement as a child of God with no fish in the boat. I would now insert this. Listen to the Word of God. They listened to him. You know what they could have said? Nah, we've been throwing to the right side of the boat all night. Who's this kook telling us how to fish? No, throw to the right side of the boat. Listen to what Jesus says and see if it's not true that he is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Children of God, it is time that we start trusting him so that the whole world will see him flex in our lives and say that the God that they serve is the one true God of the Bible through his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was re reflecting his power here in his inconceivable provisions. I'm thankful in my life that he has reflected his power over and over and over again. Secondly, He's revealing his person, his person, that he is their gracious provider. He is their gracious provider, and he's providing for them. When they saw his provision, that's when they knew. The first tug of the rope. Can you imagine all seven of those guys, 153 fish, large fish, it says, over the side of the boat. These guys have been hauling in fish their whole lives. They're just going to fling it in the boat. And they grab that rope, that net doesn't budge. What did John say immediately? There's only one who can provide like this. Oh, don't you know John went back to the Old Testament, to Genesis chapter 22. 
He thought about Father Abraham as he walked his only son Isaac up that hill. With the wood for the sacrifice and with the knife. Because the Lord had told him to do so. And he went to sacrifice that young boy. The angel said, no, stop. Don't harm the boy. Abraham looked over, as we've looked over so many times in our lives. And there in that thicket was a ram caught by his horns that God had sovereignly provided for a sacrifice in the place of Isaac. We could spend all day talking about substitutionary atonement here that Christ stood in our place on the cross as our substitute, just as that ram was a substitute for Isaac. But I want you to see this. What did they take note of? Abraham said, Jehovah Jireh. The place was called, the Lord our God provides. And can you imagine John looking on that seashore? He pulls on that net, nothing comes up. All six of the other guys pulling, it doesn't come up. All they can do is feel the, sw the fish swimming around in the net, and they know this might be the biggest catch that they have ever made. And you know what he does? He drops it and says, it's the Lord. He's the only one. It's Jehovah Jireh on that bank. Peter says, yes, it is. And he put his outer garment on, and he jumped in the water, and he swam to Christ, because Christ was not only reflecting his power here, he was revealing his person, that he is a gracious provider for his own. Well, I live in the real world, contrary to popular belief. Many people think that I live at the church, and at the end of the day, they just put me in a closet, and I study the Bible all night long. But I do live in the real world. Many times in this world that we live in, doesn't it seem as if all hope seems lost? Until our provider showers us with his grace and showers us with his provision and his mercy. He is Jehovah Jireh. And John looks on that seashore and says, it's the Lord. The Lord has provided. Peter jumps in and he swims to the shore. What a gracious provider he is. None of these men deserved anything like that. Just as if I, as I don't deserve anything from the hand of a holy God. It is in Christ that I receive all things, and I'm thankful for that. He was revealing his person. He was reflecting his power. And thirdly, when we see the inconceivable provision of Christ, he is reaffirming his passion. Don't miss this part. Jesus came with a passion for the people of God. A passion for those who the Father had given unto him. We have seen it in John's gospel over and over and over again. And it hasn't stopped just because these guys don't always get it right. Anyone here thankful that Christ's passion for us doesn't change because of our lack of passion for Him? Can I repeat that? Maybe you'll get it. Is anyone thankful today that He remains passionate for us even if we have a lack of passion for Him? He knows our inconsistencies. He knows our human nature, but He's still gracious over and over and over and over and over again to us, reaffirming His passion. Oh, the encouragement that they received there on that seashore. Jesus, there by the fire, burning coals, a fillet of fish, a piece of bread. Those disciples remembered how he provided for the multitude. 
Can I get you to see that in your life, Christian? Dear brother, dear sister, the one who provided for the multitudes is the one who provides for you and for me. You say, well, I don't deserve it. No, you don't. That's the beauty of it. He's a gracious provider. We deserve nothing. Yet here they are. They walk on the shore. He's already eating breakfast. He's got his cooking. He's got a loaf of bread warming up. He wanted to create that picture for him to see. Remember what I can do. Church, remember what he can do. Stop living as if you're defeated. Stop bellyaching all the time. Stop whining and complaining. The same one who fed the multitudes is there on the bank saying, come, eat breakfast with me. Here he is. Those disciples seeing them. Watch what happens next. Verse 11 says this. Probably my favorite part of this. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Now, I want you to pay attention to something here. Seven of them could not bring the net in the boat. Simon Peter, after seeing the Lord recognizing him, seeing the passion of the Lord for his people, Simon Peter now goes back out grabs the net, and drags the net to shore by himself. It wasn't the strength of Peter here. It was the strength of God, ignited by the passion of Christ. Oh, the things that can happen when we get fired up about Jesus. He was fired up that Christ would still invite him to dine with him and to fellowship with him. And he saw the passion of Christ And he obeyed him. Go get the fish you caught. Bring them up here because we're about to fellowship together. And Peter ran out into the water. Have you ever tried to wade through the water while you were dragging something? And he drags a net with 153 large fish all the way up to the shore. And he says, here they are, Lord. Let's eat together. Oh, next week we're going to see that there was more for Peter in all this. But here he becomes excited about Christ. I wish some people would become excited about Christ here. To see the passion that Christ had for people to seek and to save that which was lost and have that same passion for others in our daily lives. Jesus, passion for them on full display. Come and eat breakfast. You say, big deal. They ate breakfast with Jesus. Oh, it's a huge deal. Let me remind you of how this all played out. They had nothing. They were tired. They were worn out. They were hungry. They were discouraged. They had nothing to eat. And Jesus said, pull that net up. And they had more than than they could eat and then give away. Reminding them of the passion that Jesus has for his children. Though we deserve nothing. Nothing. He lavishes His grace and His mercy and His love and His forgiveness and His provision and His kindness on us over and over and over again. And He invites us, even after we have blown it, come, fellowship with me. Sit at my table. Eat of the food I have provided for you. Don't eat of the things of this world any longer. Peter, don't go back to that life. 
Rest in me. Let me be the provision that you need. Inconceivable provision. Are you thankful for that this morning? Thirdly, we see the third point, which is a point, but also somewhat of a conclusion. We see the importance of this lesson. The insufficiency of natural man, the inconceivable provision of Christ. And then I want you to see the importance of this lesson. Why is this lesson so important? Why, why did John include this? It's rather humiliating. I don't know any fisherman in the world who would tell this fishing story. He included it. And I believe he did for a reason. And I, I think those reasons are here in the last few verses. Verse 12 says this, Jesus said to them, come and eat and have breakfast. None of the disciples, watch this, dare to ask him, who are you? <laughs> watch this, they knew it was the Lord. They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them and he, he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Why is this lesson so important? Because this encounter reminds us of some things that I want you to understand today. If you haven't paid attention thus far, pay attention to this. It reminds us first that Jesus appears to flawed people. Jesus appears to flawed people who don't have it all right. Who are mixed up, even sometimes confused. He chooses to reveal himself to those he chooses, no matter how flawed they are. He chose in this moment. Flawed Peter said, I'm going fishing. The rest of the disciples, we're going too. We're tired of waiting. He still chose to reveal himself to them. In fact, in Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, it says it like this. Peter, speaking of the time after the resurrection of Christ that he was able to see Jesus, he says in verse 41 of chapter 10, he was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. But don't you know when he said that, he went back to that small little campfire there on the Sea of Galilee where we ate and we drank with him. Well, that's for all of the heretics who want to believe that the teachings of docetism, which is that Jesus was just a phantom and he wasn't really... God incarnate. No, he ate and he drank with them. They broke bread together. Peter says, we remember that. He chose to reveal himself to us and what an honor it is that we can be his witnesses. Did you know this? If you know Christ here today, it's because he chose to reveal himself to you so that you can be a witness of him. You didn't go looking for him on your own. You didn't go hunting for him on your own. You didn't find him on your own. He chose to reveal himself to you, and he revealed himself to you so that you can see you have a new life and a new mission. That is to bring others to Christ. He appears to flawed people. Well, my prayer is this today. Those of you who are here who are flawed, you are sinners, just like the rest of us. Pray that he would reveal to you for the very first time your need for Jesus as Lord and Savior, that he would forgive you of all of your sins as he came to die to do. You would believe and trust in him and repent. Bow to Him as Lord and Savior this very day. You don't have to get it right before He'll reveal Himself to you. So many people have tried that excuse on me throughout the years. Well, when I get a few things in my life right, then I'm going to start 
following the Lord. No, you're not. Because if you wait for that, it's never going to happen. He appears to flawed people. Everyone who has ever been saved was flawed. There's none righteous, no, not one, myself included. And he met me at my worst, in all of my sin and all of my shortcomings and all of my failures and my flaws. Paul said it like this, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. He said, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble of birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ. It is because of him that you are in Christ. Because it is Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Oh, Jesus won't appear to you today because you deserve it or think you deserve it. When he reveals himself to you today through the preaching of, and the power of the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, when he does that, he's revealing himself to a flawed person. You just know that right up front. And you recognizing that and calling out to him is where you will find forgiveness of sin and eternal life. And you will find it in him and him alone. Jesus appears to flawed people. Importance of this lesson. Second thing I want you to see in reference to the importance of this lesson, Jesus abundantly provides for his helpless children. He abundantly provides for all of his helpless children, and guess what? I am one of them. I pray that I never measure my life on earthly success. But I pray that I'm constantly reminded that I am a helpless child in need of my heavenly Father's provision. In fact, Jesus said, unless you come like one of these little children, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. We need Jesus as our provider, church. But not just that salvation. Many of you have that. You trusted him to save you. But are you trusting him each and every day of your saved life? You say, well, I don't know. You, you want me to help you in understanding? Look at your prayer life. Because you know what prayer does for us? It shows us how much we really depend on Christ. How much do we really depend on Christ? I'm talking about on the front end. I'm not talking about depending on Christ after everything falls apart. I'm talking about every day realizing this. I am a helpless child, and I am in need of my Father's provision. Know that Jesus abundantly provides his children. Trust in that. Rest in that. You don't need the things of this world any longer. He will take care of you. In fact, Matthew chapter 6, he gives a big lesson on that from verse 25 all the way to verse 34, where he tells us, don't worry about what you eat or what you'll drink or what, what kind of food or what kind of clothes you're going to wear. He says, look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Look at everything around you. I take care and I provide for all of those things. How much more will I take care of my children? He's going to take care of you. It's your lesson today. That's the lesson for the disciples who were there on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus abundantly provides for his helpless children. Realize your state of helplessness. Listen to the voice of Jesus when he says, throw your net on the right side of the boat 
You've been throwing your net on the left side of the boat this whole time. Throw your net on the right side of the boat. And watch what's going to happen. When you read something in the Word of God and you see that your life has not been aligning with that, and you've been missing out on a blessing because your, your life was not being lived in obedience to the Word of God, then, right then, don't wait. Repent of that. And throw your net on the other side of the boat and watch the Lord provide for His children. It will absolutely blow you away. He has not, and He will not ever abandon you. Please know that. He told His disciples in John chapter 14, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He was talking, of course, to them about the promise of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to still guide you. I'm still going to lead you. Look to me. Don't, don't look to your old nature. Don't look to your old life. Look to Christ. Walk in His Spirit. See the provision that He gives to us over and over and over, providing us strength, providing us encouragement, providing us boldness to share the gospel, providing restoration where restoration needs to take place and redemption, and He provides us with peace to carry out His plan in our lives. Oh, what a lesson these disciples learned about the abundant provision He gives to the helpless children. And then... Lastly, Jesus always remains faithful to His promises. I want you to get that out of this lesson. Jesus always remains faithful to His promises. You say, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, we see, He told them, cast over to the right side of the boat. There's fish there, and there were. There's a greater promise that we see that He was faithful to. Matthew chapter 28, verse 10. What happens there? Matthew chapter 28, verse 10. Um, Jesus tells His disciples to go ahead of him to Galilee. He gives them instructions, don't be afraid, but to go ahead to Galilee, and there they will see me. And here he is in Galilee. Now, if you'll research this a little bit, they're not where they're supposed to be in Galilee. They were supposed to meet him on some mountain. There's all kinds of debate exactly where they were supposed to meet him, but I promise you this, they weren't supposed to meet him at the Sea of Galilee, returning back to their old lives as fishermen. But he wasn't going to let them return to their old life. He was going to be faithful to his promises even when they were unfaithful to what they were supposed to do. And he met them right there and he began to teach them. We're going to see next week. He met them there so that one of them could be restored because he had denied that he even knew Christ. He was going to be in need of restoration because Christ had a plan for his life. We're going to see Christ unfold that for us next week. But everything that He had promised them had come to pass. Can I insert this for you this morning? Everything that God has ever promised you will come to pass. Stop doubting and believe that. If He says, meet me in Galilee, meet Him in Galilee. If He says, throw on the right side of the boat, throw on the right side of the boat. Whatever you read in the Word of God, it is true. And all of His promises, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20... All of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. Bank on them. He's promised you something. It's as good as done. What a great lesson we have seen today as Jesus has taught His disciples there on the Sea of Galilee 2,000 years ago, but fast forward 2,000 years ago, and maybe you can't say this, but I can say He's taught me so many things and reminded me of so many things that I forget often. I'm thankful for the reminders in the Word of God. As we prepare to close, unbeliever, I say this to you. Maybe today, 
Jesus is revealing himself to you. I'm not talking about historically. I'm talking about personally. There in your heart, in the depths of your being. Perhaps Jesus is revealing your need for him as a sinner who is in need of a Savior. He's showing you that it's he that died on the cross. It's he that rose again from the grave. It's he that has ascended into heaven where he secures eternal life for all of those who believe and trust in him. Perhaps today, you, a flawed sinner, are being shown by a sovereign God how much you do truly need Jesus Christ as your Savior. I pray and I encourage you today, turn from your sin. Turn to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's why he's revealing himself to you. That's why he's opening your eyes to show you that you are a sinner. A sinner who the wrath of God abides upon right now. And if you do not repent, the wrath of God will abide upon you for all eternity in hell. And he is revealing himself to you graciously today that you would believe and cry out to Jesus, calling on him as your Lord and Savior. Unbeliever, repent and believe in Christ today. To the believer, maybe today you've realized that you've been trying to do life on your own again. In fact, maybe it's not, I'm going fishing. But it's whatever it is that Jesus saved you from that your flesh is desiring to return to or maybe has returned to. I pray today that you would repent You would look to Christ. You would stop living your life in the flesh, expecting something other than sin and disobedience, that you would die to your flesh, that you would walk in the Spirit, walk in the joy and the peace that Jesus Christ died for you to have, that you would enjoy that fellowship again, that you would hear Him in your heart today. Say, come. Come, let's have breakfast. Come, let's dine. Let's fellowship. Stop forfeiting fellowship for your flesh and enjoy that which Jesus Christ paid for you to have. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you now thanking you so much for the word of God and for all the lessons, the ones that we have seen in detail today, the ones that will change us and mold us into the image of Christ. God, I thank you for those lessons. Lord, I pray for the one who's here today who needs a Savior, who is lost in their sin and in their unbelief. I pray even now, Lord, your Spirit would draw them out of the darkness of sin into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ and that they would be saved and saved forevermore as they cry out faith and repentance to Jesus Christ today. May your will be done. May you receive all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org or call us at 281-689-1604. You can also visit our website at www.keylifefellowship.com. We hope and pray you have a blessed week. And remember, you are light in the dark.